Good morning and welcome to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldezan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, we are live and in person back in the studio. There you go. After a whole week off. Yeah, well-rested <laughs> week, maybe. That's right, boy. I tell you, I'm feeling good. I'm all oh. frisky. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing what a week off will do to you. Yeah, buddy. <laughs> I would say do for you, but... Yeah. <laughs> Hey, give us calls, 499-9526, and we got all our lines wide open. Of course, you put a 225 in front of there. And you can reach us from anywhere inside the continental United States. That's right, and we always appreciate hearing from folks outside of the 225 area, but uh, we love hearing from people in Baton Rouge here as well. And I see we've got a call already holding. Good morning, Doug. Good morning. Yes, sir. Good morning. Got two questions for you. You bet. One, I've got an 04 Chevrolet Impala, mm-hmm. 72,000 miles on it. Okay. The engine has been pretty well maintained, oil and filter every 4,000 miles. Mm-hmm. Can I change from regular motor oil to one of the synthetics to give the nominal 8,000-mile uh, interval on the oil drain because I'm going on an 8,000-mile trip? Well, Doug, let me back up just a little bit. Yes, you can, to answer your question. But I would never, ever go to synthetic oil thinking that you can go longer on the interval. Okay. Now, that being said, if you use regular oil and go on an 8,000-mile trip, that oil will still be like brand new when you get back. The reason being, those are ideal conditions for driving. Okay. So 4,000 miles in town is far, far, far harder on the oil than 8,000 miles on a highway all at one time. Okay. Because gotcha. the engine will be at 220 degrees, which is going to boil any moisture out. The PC system is going to be working. You're running probably 60, 70 miles an hour for hours on end. You will not hurt that all one bit. What I would do or what I would suggest, continue with the oil you're using right now, change it before you leave, and change it when you get back. Okay, terrific. I have another quick question. Mm-hmm. you got time. You bet. Going down long hills, is it better to put it in neutral and coast or better leave it in drive from the standpoint of better gas mileage? Definitely leave it in drive. If you put it in neutral going down a long hill, you're going to burn the brakes up on the car. All right. Because you're going to have to touch the brakes or it'll just start speeding up on you. And riding those brakes downhill will cook the rotors. If you ever go up to Chattanooga or any of the areas around here, much less out in the Rocky Mountains, all you have to do is kind of roll your window down a little bit and smell, and you will smell brakes burning. That's out-of-state people. <laughs> You'll see them riding those brakes. They will get scorching hot, and you will warp the rotors on your car coming down that mountain. Best off, Doug, is to leave it in gear, let off of the gas, and if it starts to speed up too much, you can actually take it out of overdrive, go down to third gear with it right. to slow the car down. I wouldn't drop it into second gear. You know, I would apply the brakes before I did that because you can start wearing the clutches and transmission if you really put too much load on it. But, yeah, on a modern vehicle, when you let off the accelerator, what happens is that the throttle position sensor is going to report to the computer, hey, he's not applying throttle. So if RPM a higher than they should be for the way you're going, it's going to cut the injectors back. So you're not going to use any gas anyway. Terrific. It's going to coast. Appreciate your help. All right, Doug. Thanks, man. Bye-bye. All right, 499-9526 number. If you want to be part of the automotive fire, we would love to have you. And we're going back to the line with Don. Good morning, Don. Good morning. How y'all doing? Doing great, sir. Doing great. Y'all ought to be well-rested now. I am. Boy, I tell you, I am <laughs> tanned and ready to roll. You got a good suntan? Oh, yes, sir. Good. Look, I got a, I've called before, but this is a different question. I okay. got a 1989 Toyota Camry yes, LE sir. with a 2.0 engine in Yes, sir. Uh-huh. And my air conditioner acts up on me sometimes, cooling, you know what I mean? And then that blinking, it starts blinking. You yes, know? sir. Uh-huh. 
I'll cut it off and cut it back on, mm-hmm. and sometimes it'll come back on. Yes, sir. Don, almost always on that car, when that light starts to blink, it's right. because the belt is slipping on the air conditioner or it thinks it's slipping. Oh. It's got a sensor in the crankshaft, and it's got a sensor on the AC compressor. And because when the belt slips, it can overheat the clutch and burn it up, as oh. soon as it sees those two not turning at the same speed, it starts to flash that light and it cuts the compressor off. I see. Now, if it's not the belt itself, it could be something like one of the sensors has gone bad and it thinks it's slipping when it's not. Oh. You know, or it could be the clutch is going bad and it's just slipping internally in the clutch. But most of the time, check your belt, make sure it's good and tight, particularly <laughs> if it happens like after you run maybe through a puddle of water or something. Because a little water gets in that belt, it can slip a little bit and it can cause that. How tight should that belt be? We've got a gauge that we use on it, Don. But technically, I guess if you just had to come up with some rule of thumb, if you push in with moderate pressure about midway of the belt, it ought to deflect about a half inch or so. No more than that. You know, moderate thumb pressure pushed against the center of the belt. Right. It should move about a half an inch, no more than that. If it moves more than that, if you move it an inch, it's probably too loose. If you can't move it at all, it's probably too tight. If uh, right, uh, would being too tight cause it to do that? Probably not, but it can cause a lot of other problems. Yeah. Like it can make the clutch go bad because you're loading those bearings when you put a belt too tight. Right so about. there's a proper amount. You don't want it like a guitar string, but you, know, you don't want to lose freon. I don't think it checks that on that particular thing. Being low on freon will cut the system off, but I don't think it'll make that light flash. Oh, yeah, it blinks. Yes, sir. It blinks normally because that clutch is not turning the same speed as the crankshaft. So you might just check your belts. And I tell you, Don, what I always do on a Toyota, I go to the Toyota dealer and buy those belts. I don't like the aftermarket belts. No, I buy all my parts. Yes, sir. Well, make sure everything's good and clean. Could be there's a small leak somewhere, you know, and it's got a little something on those pulleys and maybe making them slip. That can happen as well. Right. Okay, well, right. good. I'm going to check that belt first. Yeah, see. check that and make sure it's good and tight. But since it's cooling, I, I shouldn't be low on free. A free iron wouldn't call that. Would. I don't think it'll make the light blink on that one. It will shut the system down, okay. which will make it not cool. But it will. Not, I don't think it will make that light flash. Okay, thank you. All right, Don. Thanks, man. Uh, bye-bye. Bye-bye. 499-9526. If you want to be part of the automotive eye, we'd love to have you. And we've got Aaron on the line. Good morning, Aaron. Good morning, guys. How's it going? Doing great, Very sir. Very good. Hey, I got a tire question okay. for you today. You bet. My mom has, she's got a 2011 Kia Soul uh-huh. that she works just like across the street from a tire place. Mm-hmm. And this so happened that yesterday she had gotten a flat. And I think it sounded like there was a piece of wire or something that was, they weren't able to patch the tire. Okay. And the tires that she has on there have got probably 20,000 miles on mm-hmm. them. And they're an all-season tire. We're up here in Minnesota, so she uses them you know, year-round and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So they had told her, I guess I'm not really upset with the work they did. I'm glad that they got her back on the road and yes, whatnot. Sir. But I'm just kind of questioning what they did because they put a, the, they kind of gave her only one option of being a directional tire to put on there. Mm-hmm. And... When they gave her that one, it's like a high-performance tire that's not recommended for snow, not recommended for, you know, any cold weather conditions, yes, anything mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. And just put that on there and said you're kind of good to go kind of a thing. And to yeah. me, that seems kind of like a kind of an improper, maybe they, they didn't quite go as far as they could have or should have. Kind it of sounds like it, Aaron. And things being what they are, a lot of times what a tire store will do is they will base their recommendations more on what they got in stock than what is best for the customer Mm -hmm. it sounds like that's what happened best of course is to match what was already on there 
with right. something very similar. But a lot of times I've seen where tire stores will make recommendations. And what kind of bothers me is that their standards change based on what they got in stock. <laughs> you know? mm-hmm, mm-hmm. One time right, they'll right. tell you you need something, then the next time you go in you need something else, and mm-hmm. that sort of a thing. Sure. But I think maybe she should go back and just say, hey, look, guys, I've only had this on here a day, and mm-hmm. I don't think this is the proper tire based on my other tires that I have on the car. Right. And see if maybe they'd be willing to swap it out, even if they have to order her a tire. Sure, sure. And say, so, you know, hey, I know you've already mounted and balanced this one, and I will pay you to break it down and mount and balance another one. But I just right. this is really not the proper tire for my car. Right. And I prefer to have an all-season tire because this is Minnesota. <laughs> right, right. And she had noticed, too, driving. She was driving um, probably about an hour or so mm-hmm. after that and noticed that the traction control light was on. Is that something because since the other tires are kind of half-worn that that one's spinning a little Well, it shouldn't be quite that sensitive. You might just make absolutely sure they did get the right size on there. If they put a different size mm-hmm. tire, it will definitely do that. Mm-hmm. Normally, the amount of wear, the system is just not that sensitive. It wouldn't pick okay. that up. Yeah, if you had okay. one tire that were tread bare and another tire brand new, it might get it. Sure. You're right, probably right. only talking a couple of 30 seconds of an inch difference with 20,000 miles in the other tire, so I wouldn't think right. it would make a difference okay. Okay. if everything else were equal. So right. make sure they did put the right size tire, and I think I would go back, and you may want to go over there with her. You sound like you're okay. a lot more technically savvy than most ladies are going to be. Right. And that way you can kind of discuss with them. Just say, look, yeah, I'm not mad or angry or anything. I just want yep. to get the best length for my mom, and this is, right. I don't think, the best tire of choice. Sure, sure. So, yeah, like I say, I'm just, just kind of looking out for the best. Yeah, absolutely. The best, the best that I know, anyway. I there guess. you go. Where are you calling from, Aaron? Up here in Minnesota, actually, I've, I've called you before, but oddly enough, about some tire problems uh-huh. before up in the uh, middle St. Cloud, Minnesota area. Okay, great. Well, we appreciate right. you calling, man. Yeah, well, thanks for your help again. Thanks, Aaron. All right, sir. Bye-bye. All right, bye-bye. 499-9526, number. If you want to be part of the automotive hour, of course, you put a 225 in front of there. That's right, and you can reach us from anywhere in the continental United States, and we don't sure like to get a different perspective that's right or from canada there you go Just put a one in front of it you can reach us from canada I all right look that up on the internet <laughs> <laughs> down in cancun last week and a lot of canadian people come down there so right got to meet with quite a few folks they're a refreshing group of people their perspective on things uh-huh. the way they handle themselves and the way the government is run there and all that it's just it's kind of refreshing to uh, yeah to really li- hear about yeah <laughs> it really is they do a good job up there i should say hey going back to our phone lines with david good morning david Hey, how you doing? Doing morning. great, sir. Good morning. Look, I have a 2006 Forerunner uh-huh. V6. Okay. And when I turned the key on to not start but run, yes, sir. Uh, check engine light doesn't come on. Does not come on. Okay, so it's not bulb checking. Yeah, and then when I turn it on to start, it won't start. But if I keep turning it from accessory to run, mm-hmm. the light will finally come on. Okay. And I bump it on start. It'll bump just like uh, the solenoid pulled in on the starter, but it didn't crank. But then I can turn it off again one or two times, and then the light will come on. Mm -hmm. I'll wait maybe two or three seconds, and it'll crank. Yeah, David, I would pretty much suspect the PCM or a problem with the PCM, which is a power control module, because it grounds the check engine light directly. Basically, when that light does not come on, you got two possibilities. One is, of course, the bulb burned out, which you know it's not because it does so come it, on at times. Uh, no light. Once I get it started, mm-hmm. I can ride everywhere. Right. It, well, you said it does come on, though, no just before it starts. On. So you know the bulb works. Right. So that pretty much leaves the PCM. It's got to be something in there. It doesn't mean the computer itself is bad. 
It could be something like the immobilizer circuit is shutting the PCM down, not allowing it to operate. could be a number of things, so it's one of those deals you're just going to have to have it diagnosed and find out what it is. But it is definitely the PCM is not coming up or operating for some reason. And like I said, the simplest thing would be the immobilizer system is shutting it down because it does have that on that vehicle. And if it doesn't see the chip in the key or it doesn't like the chip that it sees in the key or it doesn't match it can have some corrupt data where it doesn't match the BCM under certain conditions. I mean, lots and lots of things can do it. But for some reason, the power control module is shutting it down. How many miles do you have, David? Only 25,000. Well, you're still under warranty on that because that comes under an eight-year, 80,000-mile warranty. Okay. So just take that back in and just tell them exactly what it's doing. Give them all the details like you just did with me, and they should be able to find that pretty easy. It could just be a bad PCM. They don't go bad a lot, but they do go bad occasionally, and they can just swap that out for you. Okay. All righty. Thank you very much. Okay, man. Thank you. Bye-bye. <laughs> Boy, I tell you, I'll hit one of these buttons. Boy, I tell it's you. been off for a week. What kind of... <laughs> <laughs> hey, we got to take a quick little break. Joe, Harold, hold on. You'll be straight up after this break. Travel my way. Take the highway. Just a guy here for Agco Automotive with a few things that chap my hide lately. $150 jeans. Vanity licenses that are too complex to read. Billboards that say, drive carefully. Think about that one. Child beauty pageants. I mean, let's go ahead and set these kids up for failure before they get to kindergarten. And how about when you try to be nice and let someone out in traffic and they won't go because they're talking on the cell phone? Here's a message for you. Put the phone down! Another thing that chaps my hide is repair shops that use Swaptronics to fix your car. That's where they can't pinpoint the exact problem, so they just change parts, hoping to fix something, which means your repair bill could double. The experts at Agco determine the exact problem, then fix it right the first time, at the price quoted, which does not chap my hide. Want more info? Visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O dot com. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. You join us the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldezan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, Tree Tools, try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go ahead and give us a call? We're going back to our phone lines with Joe. Good morning, Joe. Good morning. Yes, sir. I've got an F to uh, pick up on my farm. And uh, this past weekend, I was up there, and I went to put it in park. I was on a slight incline, yes, and sir. it would not hold. And so I went ahead into to a level ground, mm-hmm. but I could not get it into park. It okay. would go into neutral and reverse and, and everything else. But I, So I had to turn the engine off in neutral and take the key out. Mm-hmm. But I, I cannot get it to go into park. Let me ask you this, Joe. If you put it into the park position, you know, obviously it's not in park. It still rolls. But will it start there? It will not click into park. The shifter, yeah, but if the, the shifter, shifter is physically. placed in park position, can you crank the car? I didn't try that, but I mean, I literally, you, you can't force it to go in. But see, right. what that tells me is, if it will start in that position, then it is moving the manual lever position sensor to park position. That means you got an internal transmission problem. If it will not start in that position, then the manual lever position sensor is not moving to park, which is probably a cable or linkage type problem. So that you're going to need to know to, to determine. Basically, it's going to either be the cable or the linkage is malfunctioning and not moving all the way to park. Since park is the last gear, it's the first one you're going to lose. 
Or if it is actually going into park, but it's just not parking, it's something in the parking problem mechanism, which is inside the transmission, which is a whole different issue. Doesn't mean a major transmission problem. There's a nut on the end of the shaft that can actually back off and it can turn and it can throw those gears off to where when you're moving your shifter, it's just not engaging. So you can need to try that. Try putting it in where park would be, even though it doesn't click, and see if it'll crank. If it cranks, and that means the transmission is physically going to park, it just doesn't have park. Now, if it will not crank because it's still in, in one of the gears, and more likely into a linkage-type problem. Okay, thank you, guys. Uh, hi, Joe. Thanks, man. Bye-bye. 499-9526 number. If you want to be part of the Automotive Eye, we'd love to have you. Why don't you go and give us a call? And just in case you don't get a chance to call in or something occurred to you during the week. That's right. You can always go to our website and get your questions answered that way. The address is www.agcoauto.com. That is A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. There's a contact bar on each and every page. You can send Lewis an email any time of the day or night and get it back within 24 hours. A lot of times sooner. Just depends on when you send it. Mm -hmm. There's also several other things you can do. Maybe get your questions answered without having to send us an email. Well, that's right. There's the vehicle questions, which is a short to the point answer to a particular question. Then there's the detailed topics, which is a much more in-depth article mm -hmm. on a certain topic. Yeah. Put one on last week and sort of a follow-up to it this week. And it's all about, I guess, the automotive industry and why things are the way they are. And the first article, which went on last week, is why can't I find a good mechanic? Uh-huh. And this week is a follow-up, which is how to find a good mechanic. There you go. <laughs> it goes in all the way back in the history of the automotive industry, how it got the way it is, right. why it is the way it is. Some surprising things you may learn that may help you when you have to have automotive service because some folks are able to fix their own car. Maybe they're able to get along or get around. Or some folks have just found a good mechanic, and they don't have to worry about all that. Uh -huh. There's no right way to go, and makes it real, real easy for them. But a lot of people are just kind of lost in space out there yeah and, and this would be a great article if you were out of town and had trouble that's right it will apply as well so this two-part article and like i said first part last week this part this week and really it'd be best to read both of them because the first one starts out in the history where the automotive shop actually came from how it evolved the way that it is right why things are the way they are and then the second one goes into the differences and how to tell the differences between the different shops. Why some shops do things one way and other shops do things another way. And just gives you a real, real good insight that most people who are not in this industry probably would not ever think about think about, or right. see or really consider. But Sound like a great article. Yeah, everything in this world is the way it is because somebody wants it that way. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Whether you like it or not. Well, that's right. And people don't realize the power that they have to make changes. I listen to people a lot of time. They'll complain about something. So well, why don't you change it? Well, 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 well I said it's going to be easy, yeah. but it can be changed. It's know? easy. Everybody do it. Well, that's right. And I hear people all the time. They complain, well, you go on the internet, there's nothing but porn on there. Well, the reason there's nothing but porn on there is because a lot of people are clicking on that. Exactly. <laughs> if you don't want to see it on there, don't click on it. That's you know? right. <laughs> and it'll go away. And it's pretty much like anything else you see. The American buying public has a very, very powerful voice in that all they have to do is quit buying it. Sure. Or quit watching it. Turn the TV off. Turn the radio off. If, right. they're, if they're saying something that you do not want to hear or you do not believe in, just turn it off. You don't, have, right. you don't have to listen. Yeah. Start shopping elsewhere. Yeah. Hey, vote. I've, I've already started. <laughs> oh, yeah. Vote with your pocketbook, boy. There you go. That'll get their attention real quick. Oh, I guarantee you. And 
a lot of times you see some of this ludicrous behavior that occurs, and I often wonder if a large, large group of people would just say, hey, we're not buying from you anymore. That's it. We're done. Anybody who advertises with you, we're not buying from them. So (laughs) if we couldn't maybe get their attention on some of these issues that just seem so silly, of course, I guess they don't seem silly to everybody. That's that's the problem. (laughs) That's why why they're where they are now. Well, that's right. But that's a big enough market there for everybody. That's what I'm hoping. That's it. That's about the only voice you really have. But lots and lots of good things on there. I put another feature on recently, and it is a torque chart, torque specification chart for drain plugs. On domestic and Asian vehicle, popular domestic and Asian vehicles, and quite a bit of work goes into that. So anyway, I've got that online now. Now, you do have to be registered in order to access that. Uh-huh. And we're talking about uh, engine oil drain plug. Engine oil drain plug uh-huh. torque. So all you have to do if you register on the site is just go to the site map and go down under technical information. You'll find it listed there, and it's listed a couple other places as well. Click on it, and it'll bring up a list of all the different types of cars. And there's, you can type GM car or GM truck. You can type Toyota. You right. can type whatever Subaru, whatever vehicle you have, and it's going to bring up the year models, the engine types, and so on and so forth. And that takes a tremendous amount of time to put together sure all that information and to keep updating that information. So it's not something that I just want to stick out there where people would be copying it and posting it here, there, and yonder. Uh-huh. So we did make it to where you do have to register on the site. But, of course, registration is free. Sure. No charge there. But we didn't want other sites going in just grabbing off our information. Right. Copying it. Copying it and yeah, pasting it somewhere I, else. I spent and, about a month and a half putting that together. Oh, I know. <laughs> we don't somebody cutting and pasting it. Yeah. <laughs> and that's every time we, we change oil on a, a new vehicle in the shop, we have to stop and look that information up. But if you'll notice that most of the vehicles we service regularly, mm-hmm. if you look underneath it on the oil pan, that number is wrote down on that oil pan. Well, that's right. It makes it faster for us, and it also makes it better for the customer if he takes his vehicle somewhere else. The technician doing it sees that target and says, oh, yeah. This has got to be talked to spec. Well, and, you know, even if you change your own oil, it's not a bad idea because most folks are going to change their oil at most every three months, uh-huh. some maybe every six months. So that's a long period of time to remember something like that. Sure. So if you take a – we use a marker crayon and just write it on the bottom of the oil pan, 18 foot-pounds or whatever, whatever it, it might be. Right. Then that way you don't have to go look it up next time. And what makes it even better is because the information is there, you're more likely to actually go ahead and torque it properly. Exactly. Because if you, ha- if you have to stop and go look it up, you may say, well, yeah, I'll, I'll just, just tighten it down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> next thing you know, you got to strip drain plugs. So. Yep. Hey, we're going to take another quick little break. We'll be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. Just a guy here for Agco Automotive with a few things I'm tired of. I'm tired of reality TV. There's nothing real about it. I'm tired of all those housewives, the Kardashians, the brides, the bachelors, celebrities in rehab. Here's an idea. Let's ship all the Flavor Flaves, Snookies, and Honey Boo Boos off to a deserted island and watch America's average IQ jump up a few points. I'm also really tired of automotive repair shops that promote an $89.95 brake job and then hit the folks for $500 and give them a lousy job. Listen to me and take your vehicle to Agco, where you get quality work performed right the first time for a reasonable price. And that, my friends, is a reality. Want more info? Visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O dot com. Agco. It's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. Just join us the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, Tune Tools, try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go ahead and give us a call. It's 499-9526. 
and we always enjoy hearing from you. Sure. That's it. That, today's the day to get your questions answered. Well, that's right, because we were gone last week, so you didn't get a chance to call. Right. At least you could get your yeah, answers. If you want to send me an email and get answers. That's right. You want to live and personal this now or next weekend? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of emails, I did get one here uh, that I thought was kind of interesting. And this gentleman in San Lorenzo, California, has a 2005 Kia Rio, and he says that when he's accelerating, the car just doesn't want to go. It kind of uh-huh. cuts out and misses, particularly like going up a hill. So he took it to one mechanic, and he told him he thought that the fuel filter was plugged up and needed to be replaced. So he just wanted to get a second opinion, went to a second mechanic. He says that car doesn't have a fuel filter. It can't okay. be replaced. And so obviously he was confused by this, and he says, well, who is right here? <laughs> so I guess technically both of them are right in that on the Kia Rio, it does have a fuel filter, but it is an integral part of the fuel pump. Which is inside the tank, which is underneath the car. Correct. And it can't be replaced separately. You have to buy a new fuel pump to get the fuel filter. And that's how a lot of newer cars are. So I guess technically both of them are right. It does have a fuel filter, but it cannot be replaced. It's not serviceable other than as a fuel pump assembly. So what I advise is to maybe get a third opinion, have someone do a fuel pressure and volume test to make Sure. sure that is the actual problem. But if that is the problem and you are losing fuel pressure when the misfire is occurring, then you're going to have to change the fuel pump. Correct. To get it. And that's kind of getting to be the way it is. And, again, I'm not saying it's good. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm not saying it's right. It's wrong. But that's just the way it is. Yeah, that's <laughs> It's cheaper for to. the manufacturers. Correct. Well, it's a lot less expensive for them to make one component and sell it to you. And well, not only that, it's faster to assemble on the assembly line. Well, yeah, because they get a fuel tank with a filter and all already in it. Right. All they do pump, is slam it in the car and go, and they don't right. have to assemble all these different components. So it saves them time on the assembly line. Sure. Passes expense right back off to you. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we're going back to our farm with Charles. Good morning, Charles. Good morning, Lewis. Yes, I hope sir. you can help me out here. I'll uh, sure try. I've got a Buick LeSabre. Uh-huh. And the headlights are foggy or cloudy. Is yes, there sir. any uh-huh. easy way to remove that stuff? Well, it's not an easy way, Charles, but it can be done. I guess the easy way is there are people who will do it for you. That would be the easiest way. But there are several companies that make cleaner polishers that will actually take that off. And it's kind of to back up just a little bit. That lens is made out of a plastic called polycarbonate. And polycarbonate is a good plastic because it has good optical qualities. It's hard. It doesn't break real readily. But in time, what happens, it gets little tiny, tiny cracks in the surface of it called crazing. The crazing gets full of dirt and debris, which makes it turn kind of yellowish, cloudy. And I don't know if you've checked the price of replacements, but those are obscenely expensive. So it's yep. not something you want to go to change. Right. Many of them are three, $400 a piece. But the procedure is there's two or three different ways to go about depending on how bad it is there's most of the chemicals are two-part 3m makes one there's a company called mcguire's that makes another one they're available through most good auto parts places and generally you have a coarser polish that you'll go over it with first which will kind of take off a little bit of the layer that's causing the problem then there's a finer polish which brings the shine back to it if that doesn't get it 100 percent what people do who really want to go a stage further is you can get some 2000 grit wet or dry sandpaper which is a very, very, very fine sandpaper, and just sand it lightly, which will take mm-hmm. off that top layer, then come back with a two-part polish. And if you have a buffing machine, it makes it much, much easier because to okay. buff it by hand is kind of difficult. Right. Now, all that said, there are actually people out there who do this sort of for a living. I know there's a guy in Atlanta, Georgia, who 
emailed flyer from his service. And I'm sure there are probably people locally who would do it. I don't know exactly how you go about finding them. Maybe you could Google it or something, Yeah. headlight restoration or something like that. Well, but, I know a while back I was reading in an automotive magazine, mm-hmm. and they were recommending toothpaste, but I'd never heard of that before. Well, that would be painfully slow right if you go on my website and just type in yellow headlight it's gonna bring up an article that i wrote a few years ago on the topic and it'll give you more examples and all that i like the 3m product and i like the mcguire's product and there's probably others because there are two parts now i've seen a one part product that doesn't work nearly as well but uh if you got some time on your hands and you don't mind a little bit of hard work just go down to parts store and pick some up just follow the label instructions and it'll clean them up pretty nice particularly if you have a little buffer wheel yeah, well, I guess I could put a buffer on the... Uh, on a little drill or something. Uh, a yeah, lot of, right. A lot of yeah. them come with the buffing pads and everything set up for a drill motor. Mm-hmm. No, we'll try that first. Okay. Yeah, I think it'll work out nice for you. Okay, thank you very much. All right, much. y'all. Thanks, man. Bye-bye. Sure. 499-9526. Number, if you want to be part of the automotive, I would love to have you. And we've got Mike online. Good morning, Mike. Good morning, Woods. Yes, sir. got a question for you. I'm about to have to buy a new truck and i'm wondering what your take is on the most reliable from the standpoint of engine transmission your drivetrain mm-hmm. i know dodge has just come out with a new eight-speed transmission mm-hmm. i've had problems with fords in the past mm-hmm. kind of care of them but yeah. in your experience what's in my experience be a toyota tundra if you want a full-size truck if and you, that's if, definitely a full-size truck. That's a full-size truck. Now, if you want something a little smaller than that, the Toyota Tacoma is a pretty good product. I would not buy any of the domestic trucks built after 2007. Now, really? you want like a used vehicle with lower miles. I mean, you could try to find you an 06 model Chevrolet is a pretty good vehicle. I didn't have much trouble out of those. But anything after 07, in my opinion, is very, very problematic, extremely expensive to maintain and repair. Go to an eight-speed transmission. What happens, number one, it has to shift twice as much as a four-speed. But the price of repairing it when it inevitably breaks is probably three times what it was. It was already expensive. Right. So now. if you're planning on buying the truck, keeping it 100,000 miles, dumping it, going to get something else, yeah, maybe that's okay. But if you're like me, i got to drive a truck 20 years. Just I can't afford to plank down 30, 40 grand every 5 or 10 years. And that 8-speed transmission shifts twice as much. So it's going to wear out a whole lot faster. And when it wears out, it's going to total the vehicle. And you know, many people start off with that plan. I'll keep it to 100,000 and then get rid of it. Well, 100,000 rolls around and real quick. You look at it and you say, "Man, I got to keep this truck." Yeah. And then you're stuck. Yeah. yeah see, so, I bought a no I bought a no 3 new mm-hmm. Dodge. Been a extremely reliable truck. Mm-hmm. But I'm having to buy a new one because the company promotion is forcing me to have to buy a new vehicle as a company vehicle yeah so, it has to be newer or just newer it has to be less than you can't keep it more than five years from the in-service date so i have to have something within the five-year range mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, hmm. but that's interesting about the tundra my son has one i don't particularly like the styling of it mm-hmm. but, uh, yeah some people don't like the styling also it is a very very heavy truck right I mean, it's a big it, truck it's a big truck i don't know what toyota had in mind when they built that but they call it a half ton that truck by any definition is three-quarter ton i mean Easy, it is real. built okay. it's Easy. built immense i mean it's just the ring gear and rear end it's got 11 inch ring gear rear end a chevrolet has eight and a half i did not yeah, know that. huge brakes oh, yeah. huge drive shaft huge transmission i mean it's just a, a you know, massive truck i don't know if the dealership still has that frame running gear assembly on their showroom floor or not, i don't but know that was impressive yeah it really is they I just mean, took the body off the frame and left the running gear and everything 
wheels and, and tires and everything yeah. it was impressive oh yeah it's a massive truck it really is and that's the only complaint i've ever heard is hey it's just too darn big <laughs> huh. okay but, that's uh, good information mm-hmm. but it's, it's an american-built vehicle probably yeah. more american-built than any of those you're gonna get all right well i appreciate the information hi right, mike all right sir thanks Gary. thank you man bye-bye 499-9526 is the number if you want to be part of the automotive i we would certainly love to have you why don't you go ahead and give us a call we're gonna try to put you right up here on top of the list and Get your questions asked for you. Got another email here from a fella out in Tucson, Arizona, and he's got a 2011 Ford F-150, and he says that he noticed his trans has a transmission temperature gauge on it. Okay. And the transmission temperature is going up to 205 degrees, and he was wondering if that was too hot. Right. And that's a good question. Transmission temperature depends on the conditions of the vehicle. 205 degrees is too hot. If you're not towing anything, you're just driving along. 175 degrees would be better. Uh-huh. If you're towing something, it may go to 205 because as you start to load the transmission, you're going to increase the temperature. So the thing is, if it's running 205 in normal operation, I would say that is too hot. Right. If it gets up to 205 when you're towing something fairly heavy, then no, that's not so bad. And what some people, in my opinion, mistakenly do is say, well, my transmission is too hot, so I'm going to put a cooler on it. Well, it may seem to make sense. But in reality, you got to remember that transmission should be running 175 as it comes from the factory uh-huh. without a cooler. So why do you have to put a cooler to keep it at normal temperature? Right. Something Something's is wrong. wrong. Yeah, something's slipping, something's wrong, and that's going to manifest as a much bigger problem if it goes untreated. So there's nothing wrong with putting a cooler, but it's not a Band-Aid for a problem. Correct. Let's say I've got a vehicle and it runs 175 all the time. I buy a big boat, and when I start pulling it, it's getting a little hotter than I want it to be. That's the guy who would benefit from a cooler. Sure. Because under those conditions, it'll help to keep it cooler. But if it's getting hot under normal conditions, something's wrong, and what you want to do is go in, find out what's wrong, and address that rather than put something on that didn't... To cover the problem up. Well, yeah, it's sort of like if you have a headache, you might take an aspirin. But if you have a headache every single day, you don't have to keep taking aspirin. Sure. You can go find out why you keep having headaches. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you may need a pair of glasses. You may be straining your eyes. You, you may have a brain tumor. Who there knows? You go. Who knows? Yeah, you don't want to just keep taking aspirin or keep taking whatever and ignoring the actual problem. Sure. So, yeah, transmission temperature is one of those things. Most vehicles do not come equipped with a transmission temperature gauge, which is sort of un. Fortunate. Some of them actually that have the DIC, the Driver Information Center, uh-huh. have that data stored, and it will come on and say something to the effect transmission overheat or something like that. Some of that stuff on the newer vehicles is is readily available, like you said, through the instrument cluster. Mm-hmm. Some of your bigger trucks, your three quarter tons, your mm-hmm. one tons, have a transmission temperature gauge on them. Mm-hmm. Now, if it works like the oil pressure gauge does, it may not <laughs> do you any good, but it's there. Yeah, want to be gauge. Yeah, yeah, the on off switch. Yeah, that's right. But I thought it was a good question. It makes a real good point. I'm, I'm glad he wrote that. Go back to our phones with Alan. Good morning, Alan. Good morning, Lewis. Got a question on radiators or actually coolant. Uh-huh. I'm changing the coolant out on my vehicle. And okay. I was reading, reading online a couple different people, all kind of opinions on mm-hmm. how to flush and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, I've got the kind of coolant that you don't you need to premix. You don't need to add water and then add coolant, which okay. most of them sites said to do. How do the proper way to flush or to change the coolant? In the radiator. Yeah, Alan, flushing is really not necessary and not beneficial. You don't ever want to introduce any type of chemical into your system because you have highly active metals. And in fact, I'm, uh, next weekend, I've got a real in depth article on changing coolant that's coming on site. So I don't know if you can wait till then or not, but that'll tell you basically everything you want to know. But you never want to introduce any foreign 
chemicals or things to your cooling system because you already have a big chemistry set. And it's so, so easy to get that out of balance. What you want to do is you want to change coolant fairly frequently, never let it become 100% depleted. And that way, flushing is unnecessary because it's, you're just changing out. Another thing that you want to do is you want to try to remove the block plugs in the engine block to get as much of the coolant as possible. If you only drain the radiator, you're going to get about 50 to 60% of the coolant out, which is going to leave 50 to 40% depleted coolant in. So when you mix the new stuff with it, you're going to end up with about a 75-80% effective mix. So you want to remove as much as possible. If you're using pre-mixed coolant, you don't have a problem because it's already mixed with distilled water. You just add it. That's ideal. It's just kind of expensive. If not, you always mix with distilled water, and you always pre-mix before putting it into the engine. Now, if for some reason you just can't get it all out of the engine block, what you could also do alternatively is drain as much as you can, go ahead and fill it up, let it run for about an hour, and then go back and do it a second time. That's going to get about 85 to 90%, which is probably the best you'll be able to do unless you've got a lift where you can get under it and take the drain plugs out of the engine block. Okay. That sounds hard to look for. One other quick question to go along with that is I'm changing the water pump out. Okay. Is there anything special I need to do as far as worrying about an airlock or anything such as what that? What kind of vehicle is it? Chevy Silverado. Okay, on the Chevy Silverado, that is a self-purging system. It's got a hose that comes off the top of the radiator that goes back to the surge tank. That's right. going to bleed the system itself. Okay, so you don't have to worry about that. And that particular water pump, you want to be sure you get an OEM GM pump, which is going to be about $250. you got to watch. If you go buy just a Delco pump, Delco makes two pumps. They make the OEM pump and they make the professional pump. The professional pump is a piece of junk made in China with a Delco box. So you got to make sure you get the OEM pump. The second thing is you're going to have to replace the thermostat housing because GM changed that in 2004, and all the new ones are going to come with a new thermostat housing bolt pattern so the old thermostat housing will no longer bolt to it so you're going to need a thermostat housing and thermostat and a pump it would be a very good idea too you're going to take the big serpentine belt off mm -hmm. go ahead right. and take the air conditioning belt off also yes yeah, be before you drain it because inevitably you're going to get coolant on that belt yeah if the belt's still in good shape save it and put it back on if you changed it recently if you haven't now's the time to put a belt on it yeah, but you want to take also, both belts off you also want to clean the pulleys real good with some kind of alcohol-based cleaner to get that coolant off of the pulleys. Something like brake cleaner or something right. like that'll work. Good aerosol brake cleaner. And that way you won't get up, you won't tear up a new belt with coolant yeah, on if it. If you leave any coolant on those pulleys, it'll get on that belt and it'll contaminate it and it'll squeal forever. Okay. Well, that sounds great, guys. All righty. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. 499-9526 number. If you want to be part of the automotive hour, we're going to take our last quick little break and be right back with more. Just a guy here for Agco Automotive with a little advice for those who overshare on Facebook. I know I friended you, but please, I don't need to know what you had for breakfast or where you just scratched. I don't need to know your Uncle Dominic's political beliefs or that your mom painted her kitchen the color called Frosted Fern. And for the last time, we don't care that your cat, Doogie Meowser, really looks like Neil Patrick Harris. Some more advice? In this tight economy, why waste money on a new vehicle? Stick with your older model and take good care of it to make sure it lasts. Come to Agco for quality maintenance and repair, and we'll save you from throwing money away on a big note so you can pay other bills or save for something else. 
In Facebook terms, that's something you'll definitely like. Want more info? Visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O dot com. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back to the final segment of the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, president of Agco Automotive. Got Mr. Brian Terry, our lead tech, right here by my side. Hey, between two of us, I'll try to answer any questions you might have. Why don't you go and give us a call? It's 499-9526. Got all our lines wide open. Still got a few minutes in the show. That's right. And should you happen to think of something after we go off the air and hear in about the next eight minutes, That's right. you can always visit our website and get your questions answered that way. That's right. Any time of the day or night, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Just, just shoot an email <laughs> all over to us. And a lot of times, even though you may have an idea of what it is that you're looking for, it doesn't hurt to get a second perspective. I've got a good deal of experience with things, and a lot of times I may think of something that just didn't occur to you or whatever. So a lot of times it kind of helps to do that. I got a fellow here actually from Merritt Island, Florida, who wrote and said he's got a Ford F-150, and occasionally when he goes to crank it, it cranks what he thinks is too long, and then eventually goes ahead and starts. Uh Uh-huh. And he said he's heard that that's the fuel pump, and so he was wondering about some information on that. And I said, well, yes, fuel pump is one thing that can sure. cause that. And kind of the tried and true test that a lot of people have used in the past is they'll put a fuel pressure gauge on it, crank it up, cut it off, and see how long it takes for the fuel pressure to drop. And if the fuel pressure drops to zero immediately, then they say, well, the pump's bad. And that is good as far as it goes, but that is incomplete information. That's not a complete test. Because there are some other things that can also cause that to occur. For instance, if you got a bleeding injector where it's not seating, Correct. the fuel pressure will also drop. It will also make it hard to start because it will flood the engine. Correct. So the proper way to test that is you need an adapter with two hoses on it, one coming from the tank going up to the gauge, another one going from the gauge down to the engine. That way what you can do is you can crank it up, get your pressure up, block the line between the gauge and the engine. And see if it continue, if it still falls off. Uh-huh. If it still falls off, well, then you know it's bleeding back to the tank. If it does not fall off, then block the other line, do it. And then if it drops off, then you know the injectors are bleeding down. So it's just sort of another little indication that you have to use. And a lot of times what we do is we test, but we test incomplete. Sure. And so we misinterpret the results. And so just... I think maybe help him avoid making a mistake there because the fuel pump's not an inexpensive thing to go in and change. No, it's not. You figured parts and labor. Yeah, it can be pretty expensive. Yes, uh, it can. A little Fandango there. Hey, we got Richie online. Good morning, Richie. Hey, guys. Good morning. Yes, good sir. Morning. Look, I just bought a used car for my son, and the dealer, of course, puts his little sticker on the back. Uh-huh. And I'm going to peel that off. Okay. And I'm sure there'll be some glue residue. Mm-hmm. If I use, like, a goof-off or a gooby-gone, is that going to damage the clear coat? It possibly could. I tell you what, I've had real good luck with on that, Richie, particularly if it hadn't been on there too long. I just take a hair dryer yep. and just warm it up a little bit and then just take my fingernail and catch it and just kind of keep heating it up. And it was normally regular vinyl label. Well, it's actually a hard plastic. Hard plastic, yeah. Plastic. Yep. Same thing. If you kind of heat it up, it normally comes out. Or alternatively, just sit it out there in our sun <laughs> yeah. Yeah. on one of these 90, 100-degree days, and it will generally come off pretty well. I've had pretty good luck just taking something like my thumb and rubbing it, and the glue will kind of ball up and come off. I'm a little reluctant to put any kind of chemicals on paint. If you're going to do it, what you might do is find an area that just doesn't show very much, like maybe under a wheel opening or something, where it really doesn't, and try it there and make sure it doesn't hurt the paint at all. 
Okay. You don't want to put it right in the middle of your trunk <laughs> and find well, out I, it peels the paint. <laughs> yeah, obviously that's where the decal is. So. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, I appreciate your advice. Okay, Richie, thanks, man. Thanks, guys. Mm-hmm. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. 499-9526 number. If you want to be part of the automotive, I would love to have you. I bought a new car one time, yeah. and they stuck one of those on my trunk. And, of course, I went in and just took it right on off. Right. And I had to go back in for some kind of warranty service or something. And guys, well, I don't appreciate Well, hey. It's my car. Hey, what's my car? I'll do that's what I right. with <laughs> I don't appreciate your warranty service a whole lot. That's it. Guess what? I'm, back up. I'm coming back exactly. anyway. So. Exactly. Well, that's, and, uh, it's better than the way it used to be. Yeah, you yeah. Know, back in the day, they used to drill holes in the body and, and push, 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 push pins and screws in them. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I always had a big rust hole. If yeah. you ever uh, try to restore one of those old cars, that was one of the worst rust spots. Boy, oh, yeah. Run a couple of screws that are dissimilar metals in there and yeah, they scratch the paint all up. They wouldn't even seal the, the hole up. You know, they they just drill a hole in it, pop the emblems on, and you were off. But That's it. <laughs> man, I tell you, it's, it's something. Yeah, most of them now are vinyl or yeah. even a decal of some sort. They, right, they, come, they off. come off pretty easy. Yeah, they're not too hard to get off of there. Let's see if we can catch another line. We got Larry on line. Good morning, Larry. Yes, I have a 2007 Ford Focus, uh-huh. and uh, I'm having trouble with the headlights. I've got bright lights, but no dim. Okay, neither one of them? Neither one of them. The bulbs are good in both. Mm-hmm. Larry, most of the time, it's going to have a low beam relay somewhere on there. You'd have to check. And on a Ford, that may be controlled through the general electronics module. In other words, it's going to be a relay, but not a relay in the sense that it can be replaced. It'll be more of a, what they call a SCR, silicon control rectifier. And Ford it has, has had... A, go ahead. It has a relay under the hood mm-hmm. for a low beam. Well, I would try that first, and you might changed, look and I, see. Well, I did. I changed Okay, it. and didn't didn't help? And it didn't help yeah, a bit. Most likely, you're going to be into the general electronics module. Ford's had a good deal of trouble with those. I mean, they go out a lot. We change them all the time. We actually are able to repair some of them because they're pretty expensive. I want to say that's about a $500 part. But we're actually able to go into them and change some of the SCRs in them. It can't fix all of them, but we can fix a lot of them. Uh-huh. But that's more that's- likely going to be the problem if it's only on low beam. Yeah, they're pretty expensive to change. About 500 bucks to buy the part, yeah, and then it has to be programmed to the car, so it's not something you'd be able to do okay. yourself. Because if I hold my dimmer mm-hmm. handle, if I hold it up, both lights will burn. DMA yeah, but burn. it's probably on bright. Yes, that's, you got like a little thing on your handle. If you flip it like that, just to blink your lights, and it'll go to yeah. a high beam, so it's just overriding. I have never really replaced a headlight switch and fixed that problem. I'm not saying it couldn't possibly be on this, but that's pretty easy to test before you go spend a bunch of money because the headlight switch are not inexpensive either, and it's most okay. likely not going to be the problem. All right. Well, thank you, then. All right, sir. All right sir. Thank sir. you. Bye-bye. All right. 499-9526 number if you want to be part of the automotive hour. Well, guess too yeah, late. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> He's rolling the bumper music on. That's it. Hey, I want to tell everybody how much we appreciate him listening this morning and every Saturday morning on Automotive Hour. I'd like to thank all our podcast listeners for listening this week and every week. And go to iTunes, give us a written rating. Yeah, we really appreciate that. That kind of makes our day, tells us we're doing a good job. And so if you go in there and give us a written rating, we'll sure send you a big old thank you out there. There you go. Preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend. Mm-hmm.